Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Hey baddies, I'm Deltra, Deltra, OG baddie ambassador, Connecticut born and raised, divorced mama to five amazing girls. In summer of 2019, I was diagnosed with triple negative NBC, straight out the gate, but I hit the ground running. And I've survived and thrived with humor, darkest coffee, always carrying a tune, and connecting with community through conversations like these. Let's get into it together. Hey, what's up? This is Deb. Deb. I'm a metastatic fatty ambassador out in Southern Utah. I was diagnosed with stage four triple positive breast cancer in 2018. And I'm all about encouraging and amplifying the voices of marginalized folks in our communities. Hey, 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 everybody. It's your girl, Miss Ebony, a.k.a. Miss Hustle and Hills. And as of December 2018, I am a NBC baddie. And I'm out here changing the face of breast cancer one stiletto at a time. Hey girl, hey! My name is Deltra, a breast cancer thriver, and I'm joined by Batty Ambassadors Ebony and Deb. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so today we're talking about thriving with metastatic breast cancer. For those listening and don't know, metastatic breast cancer, also known as stage 4 breast cancer, is breast cancer that has traveled to another organ in your body. Before we jump into the convo, Ladies, please tell our audience your name, the age of diagnosis, your type of breast cancer, and your ethnic background. What's up, ladies? I'm Deb Ontiveros, and I was 37 years old when I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, de novo. Um, It was invasive ductal carcinoma with lobular features, triple positive, I had METs um, in my mediastinum, lymph nodes, and in the lungs. Um, and I am currently NED uh, so far. Well, I don't know, <laughs> but we'll see. Also, I identify as Latina. Um, I was raised Argentinian, but I'm Mexican by blood. Hey, 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 everybody. <laughs> I am Ebony. Um, I was diagnosed at age 37. Um, uh, I, all that, um, I'm exactly what Deb said. <laughs> um, the lobular, all that good stuff. That's exactly what I was. That's um, wild. But yeah, and um, it was all in lift notes. Um, but when I found out, mine had spread to a lot of places. It was in the lungs, um, the bones, the 
it was in my lung, my bones, part of my spine, and part of my, at the tip of my pancreas. As of right now, it is only located in the breast. On, I am looking forward to next time I am, that I get scans that I am in ED. So, yeah. Awesome. And, Ebony, did you mention your ethnic background? Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Ethnic background. I am African-American, black girl magic, all the way. <laughs> black, blackity, black. <laughs> all right. And even though I, I kind of feel like people know know my story already, I will share mine. I'm Deltra. I was diagnosed at 33 years old. Um also diagnosed de novo. Um, when we found out that I had breast cancer, it was already in my liver. And I am triple negative, And I identify as black with a capital B. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I think for the I think it'd be good to share just in case for those who don't know, um, what de novo means. So I know, Deb, you said that you were also de novo. Ebony, were you de novo? I don't even know what that oh, means. All let's right, start. then let's start there. Let's, let's so, start there. <laughs> so for those who do not know, de novo um, metastatic means that you were never an early stager. It means that your metastatic diagnosis was not a recurrence. Uh, it means that you were immediately swept into the absolutely wild world that is the cancer. <laughs> cancer you don't land. Like <laughs> right yes, off the bat. Yes. It, yeah. and it's not it's not very uncommon, but it just feels really surreal. Like it just feels unreal because you feel like that doesn't happen. Before I was diagnosed de novo, I had no idea. I had only heard of people who were early stagers having a recurrence. Um, and I just had no idea that you could be diagnosed stage four right out of the gate. Um, but it does happen. Yes, it does happen. And it's I, that many stages like in my head because like I had probably only known maybe like three people personally and they were older who had it so I didn't know about stage one stage no stages so when they hit me with stage four out the gate I'm like okay well what does that mean and they was like, oh, it was it's the last stage possible. And I was like, once again, what does that mean? And they was like, oh, you know, and they start going into details. So, yeah. It's so much information. I feel like I started kind of just blanking out. Um, I, um, I wanted to share that I did go to the doctor for a lump like two years before I got diagnosed and they just said, Oh, well you're breastfeeding. So it's probably just a clogged milk duck. And I believe them. I was like, all right, you know, I'm too young. I don't have a history of breast cancer in my family. And I didn't think anything of it. Um, until two years later, I was on a date that was going well. 
<laughs> and a lump was found and uh going really well uh, going really well it, it was going really well <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and they were like hey do you know you know that there's a lump right there and i felt dumb <laughs> like, i was like nah it's it's fine and then i went to the doctor the following week and i knew that i was in trouble when i went to the doctor on a monday and they were like can you come back in for a mammogram tomorrow I was like, when do they ever get you in that fast for anything? Yeah. Right. I went into the mammogram and they were like, can you stay for a biopsy? And I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. And by the end of the week, they were like, well, you know, I was like, what stage am I? What's, we don't know yet. We have to do more. And, you know, within like two weeks, they were like, actually, it's stage four. You know, this, mm-hmm. you know, so I was for myself, I was, I was just totally going to back because um, I was adopted. So I had no real like um, background on my family, not very much. I knew a little bit about my birth mom. Um, they did the genetic testing and nothing came up. So I have spent the last four years wondering, how the hell did I get metastatic breast cancer? Like, what the fuck? Excuse my language. I might need to be cut out. I don't know. The thing is, it just, the thing is it can just happen. I do want to say, you know, it does just happen. It doesn't mean that you waited too long to do something. It doesn't mean that you weren't taking care of yourself, that you weren't on top of mammograms. I feel like that's important to say. Metavisor actually is doing what they do every single October and uh, sharing uh, facts on graphics through their social media every single day. And I think it was today's or yesterday's that said, you know, that metastatic does not mean that you did something wrong. Um, So... For anyone who will be listening, just know you didn't do anything wrong. It, it can happen. We don't know. I like happens. the reminder. Well, yeah. Yeah. We don't know. It happens to the uh, most squeaky clean eaters, the people who move their body all the time every day. It happens to those who are vigilant about their health, who go to the doctors all the time. I myself, I mean, there, there were definitely times where people were like, well, you know, you are pretty busy. I'm a mom of five. And they're like, and I was a stay-at-home mom and had very little time, very little time to myself. And so they would just assume like, oh, were you not, you know, were you pushing off appointments? And I know a lot of moms do do that. And I'm always on yeah. top of my mom friends, like, don't do that, girl. <laughs> like, go get your, you know, you matter just as much as, you know, you wouldn't let your family miss their appointments you make your kids appointments, you probably make your husband's appointments. So make sure you're going to yours. So I'm like, no, it was not that for me. Like, don't put that on me. Um, as soon as I discovered a lump, which I did find myself, like most women under 40, um, I immediately made an appointment <laughs> to see my doctor, you know, and I got the same spiel, which was well, you know, you're really young, but I'm always really grateful that they still took me seriously. They did not dismiss me because as you shared, Deb, we hear a lot of stories from the younger, you know, women crowd, the, us under 40 and such, or, you know, close to it, um, who were just kind of brushed off. And it's, it's ridiculous because it's like, it does happen to us young women. There are plenty of us take it seriously. And all I could say is that's why it's so important that we be our own advocates. And I know it's hard. It's hard at any age to advocate for yourself when you're dealing with someone, you feel like they're the expert, they're the authority. Like, how can I really question them? But 
nobody else is the authority on our bodies. And so, That's right. should, I, yeah, I always tell mm-hmm. my friends and family, like my motto now is just push until you get peace. Like, don't stop. Don't take anything they say for an answer unless it sits well with you. Like, don't let them tell you, no, just wait and see, just this or that. Nope, nope, nope. If you don't feel peace about it, then it's not done. Get second, third, whatever opinions you have to get, you know, because things happen. Yeah, well, I wish I, you were my friend, Deltra, at the time because <laughs> I, was, I was misdiagnosed. I went for a whole year. Um, I, I found a lump, um, went for a whole year and got it checked out and they were like oh you know you're too young you know you're you know because of your ethnicity and you know you're this and you're that you know you're you're fine and I went I got checked out I'm like why should I question the doctor um (laughs) and now I wish I would have questioned the doctor um how I found out was because I had severe shortness of breath. I had severe shortness of breath and was rushed to the emergency room. They thought I had RSV and the doctor, the emergency room doctor said, well, let's do just one more test. And because he did a CAT scan with contrast, that's how Mm. he found out. And so... I didn't go to the doctor and the doctors told me this, this, and that. I had to go through the emergency room and mm-hmm. I found out December 28th and I was in the hospital for two weeks. Oh, oh my gosh. Two and a half, mm-hmm. well, two and a half weeks. And I'm a mom of four. Oh yeah. my goodness. That, that, uh, so I, yeah. you know, the doctors, you know, though, so, you know, it, and I went for a whole year. Like I had found it. They said, Oh no, you're fine. And then, but we're, you know, we're going to keep the, you know, checkups. Mm-hmm. And I went just like they told me to. And oh no, you're fine. You're fine. So now, you know, as a doc, as a person, you can't tell me I'm that push into you get peace. That's me. Cause you're not going to tell me just anything. And I tell my friend, my family, my friends, um, my kids, no, you no. When they tell you something, if it doesn't sit well in your spirit, in your gut, whatever it may be, then guess what? That means you need you need to keep pushing. Or, or if they don't want to give you the answers, you go to somebody else. Yeah, they not the doctor. Yeah. you go to somebody else. I think those are some great reminders and points. And I think um, that bringing up that we're mothers, because for me, I know that that's where the delay was. So I appreciate the reminder that we need to remind moms out there to take care of ourselves. Because I think that's why I just like let it go. I was like, I'm busy. I'm a single mom with a baby at the time. You know, I don't I and I put my faith into people and I shouldn't have. We are our best advocates and stuff. And, And I know it's not my fault. You know, but um, I think I appreciate the reminder uh, that we remind everyone. It doesn't matter if there's no history or a history, you know, age. It can happen. It can happen to anyone. And that we, sh- we should take care of ourselves the way we take care of our families. Absolutely. So something I, I found interesting that, um, Ebony, you mentioned 
was when you heard stage four and you didn't really understand stages. And I feel like there's always two parties of people. There's the people who never heard of like stages of cancer. And then there's the people who definitely have heard the stages. And as soon as they hear stage four, they think in the grave, <laughs> you know, and I was in that camp. Like I a hundred percent knew what stage four means, you know, and in my head, I was only thinking when I've heard stage four, I would think of like, like you said, older people and people who they, they, they would pass away very quickly. Like they'd get a stage four diagnosis and maybe they'd only live like a few weeks to a few months. That was my idea of what stage four meant. That was what I maybe saw in media. You know, in media, what we typically see of, of cancer patients in general is very hardcore. It's very much the bald head, beanies, uh, looking sick, vomiting, you know? And so now I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, now we're, we're living this experience and I'm just thinking, you know, what does it mean to thrive with stage four cancer? Because that's not something that, that's not an image that is put out there often. You know, when someone thinks stage four cancer, so, I know they don't think of women looking as good as us. <laughs> I know they don't think of women the baddie, what people looked like on the cover of the magazine that the baddies were a part of, you know? I get, and I get that very often. When people try to hold the baddie, I'm like, no. Oh, you're cut. You're cutting up, Ebony. Can you hear us, Ebony? Can you guys hear me? You are all all choppy, all choppy. You got better now, so you may want to start over once you're in the clear. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) For me, um, I am one who lives on my faith. And so for me, um, people be like, oh, you know, you had, say you had cancer. I'm like, no, currently still, you know, currently mm-hmm. still going through and pushing. Yep. And, but for me, one of my prayer was, and has always been, God, I don't want to look sick. Because for yeah. me, okay. looking sick would make me, for me, looking sick would play with my mental Mm -hmm. so like it would be days even though I didn't feel very well I would get up and have my daughter do my makeup or you know order order another wig like people Mm -hmm. like who do we when people see me they're like who we got who we looking at today is this (laughs) this Keisha is this this Mercedes like I name all my wigs and but for me it was my motto is changing the face of cancer because mm-hmm. like you said when you look, and it it bothers me so much that like when i turn on movies and when i turn on tv shows the mother who is doing everything and all this kind of stuff the mother gets cancer and then she dies yes and it's like right it's don't you fair. notice like how huge of a theme that is like it's such I'm a like there's thousands of say, other diseases yeah. out here that she could have got and so you get yeah. so when people get it they automatically freak out 
So for me, it was, I have to show, I was like, God, let me show people another side of what it is. Let people know that, you know what I'm saying? While you have it, yes, you are going to have your good days. Yes, you are going to have your bad days. And I'm going to be part of Some days you're going to have horrible days. Yesterday for me was one of them. But guess what? I, I lived in that moment. I overcame that moment. And I'm still pushing on, <laughs> as you all can tell. Um, but you don't have to stay there, and you can still live. When I remember um, in 2020, I ended up getting double pneumonia. The, the doctor who was basically that I have was giving oh, me a goodness. Death, was like a death sentence. And it was like, oh, you know, get your affairs in order. I said, I am going home to my kids. And he was like, I was like, I don't even want you to be my doctor anymore. Yeah. And so I made them give me another doctor in the hospital. Oh. Um, and so they did. But guess what? When I saw him as they wheeled me out of there and I waved to him and I was like, I told you that I was leaving. You know, I it's, it's all about having people. It's about mindset and showing people that. Just, be, just because what you see on TV, like we tell our kids, just because you see somebody get shot on TV and come back doesn't mean you know, that that's real life. Yeah. Um, or whatever the case, just because you see somebody on TV that had cancer and looking sick and bald-headed and all of that kind of stuff, that doesn't have to be. So you can learn to thrive through it. And I learned how to thrive through it through my makeup and my wigs and my heels. Yes. And yes. Those. yes. I try to find the normal ebony even in the mess. Yeah. It is hard to hold on to your to yourself as you're like losing things that you can't really can't really help, you know, if you lose it. But yeah, I'm glad that you were able to find ways to to thrive through, you know, maintaining what felt normal to you. And you're right. I feel like when you when I don't feel good, it messes with me mentally (laughs) when I don't feel good. And I'm and I'm not, you know, obviously not looking good because I don't feel good. Then it definitely messes with my mental more. But I feel like for me, I just have such an issue with that I have an issue with it being like the only image that you see of people living with stage four cancer is them being really sick and like passing quick I had no idea and I'm so I'm sure that lots of other people have no idea that people living with metastatic cancer can live for years they work full-time jobs they're out there in your workforce uh they have families, they have relationships, romantic relationships, everything. Like they really can, we really can thrive and have normal lives. And I just felt like that was something that isn't, you know, shown enough. Now on the flip side, I'm also really okay with <laughs> like harsh realities. And what I mean by that is... um I'm okay with there being both images because that is the reality of cancer. It's not pretty. 
Uh, lots of us do lose hair. Uh, it causes <laughs> dental issues. It causes weight fluctuation up and down. Yes. Um, it, so it can do quite a number and it can cause people to be disabled in a lot of ways too. And so I feel like in a lot of ways where we struggle with there being, um, representation for those who are disabled, I feel like that's also a thing when it comes to those who are, uh, you know, sick or ill. Um, because I know like when, uh, Black Panther, Chadwick, was sick and there was the whole thing with him, like, you know, appearing online, just wanting to, like, probably to have community and show his face since he hadn't in a while. And then what did he get? He got slammed with all sorts of nasty comments from grown adults who should know better. Yeah. Who speculating, but also just being na- making the worst of speculations. And it made me sad. And as much as, you know, I have these moments where as much as I feel really sad and angry when I'm not feeling well or I feel like, oh, I don't look good enough to be, you know, out and about or something. Or even when I am, you know, uh, putting aside moments to do what I call death work, like work on and plan and discuss my death plans, because I feel like that's important. It's important for literally any living being to do because <laughs> none of us are staying here forever. But I you know, I was talking to a friend about it and I was like, you know what? Sometimes I don't even feel like uh, my anger is stemming from like, I'm a 36 year old, like facing my death and sickness. It's stemming from people, our society in general, the average person doesn't know how to support me through these things because we don't talk about these things in our society. And I'm like, why isn't it okay for a person to not be healthy? Why isn't it okay for a person to not look good? Why, like, why, <laughs> like we're humans, our bodies uh, fall apart. You know, they're not built to last forever. And sometimes they fall apart earlier than we would like them to. And so I'm definitely like, I wouldn't want to have to like isolate myself because I feel like, oh no, no one could see me looking like this. Or I, uh, maybe I, you know, someone loses their ability to walk because of their cancer and now what they feel like they need to be a hermit and they can't be out around people, you know? And so I feel like that's a real image of cancer too. That is okay. Um, and thriving can be different things at different stages because the reality of the disease is that you don't thrive, thrive forever. Like you can do it for a long time, but ultimately metastatic breast cancer is a terminal illness. And I feel like it's important to talk about like the toll it could take, not just on your body, but like on your mental and emotional well-being. Because there are definitely times where I feel like I do not feel like I'm the definition of thriving right now. (laughs) Same. I don't feel like doing hair hair and makeup or I just don't feel well. And so I'm like, but does that mean I don't get to show up because it's going to make other people uncomfortable? And I think, no, I think that's on other people to learn how to support, you know, their fellow human through all of the things that we go through. And so I think for me, thriving definitely is just continuing on and figuring out ways to to roll with, you know, redefining what thriving means as I go through different stages and cancer. Like I've been living with this three years now. And 
very grateful to, at the time of diagnosis, I had literally one small spot on my liver that disappeared a few months into chemo. Um, I was lucky to get okayed for the uh, breast surgery lumpectomy that I wanted to have when oftentimes they say no to surgery for stage four folks, uh, which is frustrating. <laughs> but um, and the treatments I was on until just this year never made me lose my hair, my hair. And I really couldn't complain very much about side effects. For the most part, I was really feeling like myself. And I would get kind of frustrated, kind of annoyed sometimes when I would, you know, be amongst uh, fellow <laughs> stage four folks, you know, in groups or whatever. And you get such a mixed bag. You get people who are maybe even to the extreme of toxicly positive. And then you get other folks who, um, I guess you could say, toxically negative <laughs> if you wanted to. Yeah, I watched who I... I don't hang or talk to people who they do the, um, they talk toxic. Oh, well, you're, you're going to do this and time. this is going to happen to you and this is going to do. I'm like, well, that, um, I feel like don't speak that over my life. Uh, because what you say may not, you know what I'm saying? Because what your experience is, and I always say, this is what my experience mm -hmm. Because yeah. everybody... We all have individual stories. Like you said, you you didn't lose any of your hair. I've lost my hair three times. And I've been okay with being bald. <laughs> I had to... Um, I embrace the baldness, okay? Mm -hmm. So, like, some days I be bald. Some days... Well, now my hair is in the back, so... But, like, some days, now I've got to the point where if I want hair, I'll just go buy a wig. Um, yes. And I have plenty to choose from. But <laughs> yes, I love my like, wigs. <laughs> um, you know, like, every, some people, they do. Like, there's a friend that, you know, we were just like, you know, we were going to be support buddies. But it got down to a point where she was like, she just became really toxic. She's like, well, I'm dying and you are too. And I'm like, girl, no, I ain't. I'm living. Like, mm -hmm. so, and it got like really bad. Like, that's all she talked about. And, you know, like, I don't, for me, I try to keep my, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not oblivious to everybody. Everybody's going to die one day. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But my prayer is like I like you said. There's people who have lived years with this. I want to say Diane Carroll. They said you know like beautiful actress. She lived with it for 20 years. You know what I mean? So like, and so I mentioned that to somebody, and it's like, well, oh, because she got money. That, no, God needed her here for those additional 20 years. So guess what? She stayed. And so, like, you get some people, like, even, like, in certain groups, that's why I'm very grateful for, for the rest of us, because you didn't, I don't, you don't hear that toxicity. I've been a part of quite a few groups, and I was like, yeah, this ain't for me. Y'all talking crazy, y'all talking. It can, get, like, it can get overwhelming. It can get overwhelming. It and can. Then, just imagine coming straight in, don't know anything mm -hmm. about nothing. Yeah. And somebody telling you, oh, yeah, in six months, you're going to die. What? 
girl, what? Mm-hmm. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I had a, a similar experience in certain, and before I found the baddies group on Facebook and for the rest of us, I had, um, I had avoided any support groups because when I asked in the hospital, they were like, Oh, it's just for people that are, you know, almost in hospice and you're, you don't, you don't need a support group because you're doing all right. And I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So a few years went by. It's like they're either, either early stage or like near hospice. Dying. Yeah. And so I felt like bad. So I waited a long time before I found community in regards to stage four breast cancer. I just kind of went on with my life, you know, and and sort of the same thing. I took a, a, you know, an approach of like, I'm just going to keep doing me. I wore makeup every single chemo. I went every Friday for like six months. I never got away because it was like 104 degrees. It was summertime. So I just wore scarves. Um, and I tied them to the side because it made me feel like I had my long ponytail and stuff. I kept, um, I was really active in my community at the time and, and there was a lot of, um, organizing and protests and actions going on. So I was involved in there and I was like, this is not, yeah, I had treatment today. All I need is a chair maybe to pull up and sit down for a little bit, but I'm fine, guys. I'm fine. Everybody, I'm fine. I'm fine. But then I started having some long-term side effects and I was like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. I wonder if this is normal. And that's, typing into a Facebook space bar looking for different groups and I joined a few of them and some of them are really and I don't want to bash how people deal with their illness I know that you know that there are are, people can handle it in different ways but I was finding a lot of um, that it was becoming really depressing and I was like I, I can't do this like I need to find folks that get it that are like more you know wanting to use the word thriver because there was even like drama that I saw on social media you know with people with metastatic that were like I don't like it when people use the word thriver and I was like why I feel like I'm thriving like I'm doing all right I'm four years into this and I why can't I talk about it without feeling bad you know like and and so I started having the struggle so this conversation listening to both of you makes me feel a little more validated where I'm like okay good I'm not tripping all right, we can be moms and go on with our lives and, you know, you know, one day at a time. And, and I, um, you know, so I kind of shied away. So then when I found for the rest of us and the baddies group, I was like, well, finally, here's an uplifting place where we're all struggling, but it's not doom and gloom like 24 seven. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, like we're doing other things and, and we can get through this. And I think um, you have to. Faith being, you know, having faith in something, whether it's a higher power, or however you choose to, you know, to pray or whatever, right? I think that that really helps and it helps your mindset. And, and I, I was, you know, when we talk about mental health and stuff, that's the thing, you know, where I know that when I put on my makeup and I feel like shit a lot of times, but I'm like, I know I feel instantly better. My mom raised me like that. She was like, listen, just put on some lipstick. You'll feel a lot better. You know, we're going to a doctor's appointment. Just put on your lipstick and okay. All right. Um, and you know, we don't have to feel bad for wanting to glam it up <laughs> and feel good about it and stuff. But I also don't like it when people are like questioning, are you, sh- you, you have stage four, you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> I just don't want to look sick, but I, I do have pain in my body right now. And I do have a lot of hot flashes still at night. And, you know, and I did lose my hair and stuff and it did come back, you know, but I feel like that it is important to show all the different, um, the ways 
that stage four is and that we can live with it. And my oncologist said, I can't promise you decades, but I can give you years. And I was like, I'll take it. You know, my child was four years old at the time. Now I've had breast cancer half her life now. That's all she's known, you know? Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, I can't obsess, you know, over, um, you know, how much time I have left. I want to live in the moment and live in the now. And Deltra, I believe you said something about um, planning, like when you do end of life planning and things like that. And it, it reminded me that I wanted to say that, that I think everyone, regardless of whether you have a cancer diagnosis or not, should have an advanced directive in place. Like okay. they're so important and stuff. So that, so that there's no drama with the family or whoever, mm-hmm. you know, when, when that time comes, like anyone, you know, have your wishes known, have your plan in place. Cause you know, uh, every like, you know, we're all not, we're not going to live forever. No. We're just a, aware of our mortality. Yeah. But, but um, I felt like that was, that was really important. Absolutely. So survivor's guilt, that is a term that I feel gets thrown around quite a bit amongst early stagers and used when they are feeling guilty, which they should not. But when they feel guilty because someone they know had a recurrence who was an early stager, which as we know, but also as many people don't know, um, there's I think 30% of early stagers do get a recurrence as stage four. Um, But as thrivers, as those with stage four cancer, do you ever experience survivor's guilt just in a different way? Like, like we mentioned, some people get decades. They actually do with NBC. And some people only get months. And some people spend years on their first line of treatment. And some people, they cannot make, they can't find any treatment that gives them more than a few months um, at a time. So do you ever experience survivor's guilt? Um, I can honestly say I have. Um, at one point, I was doing a um, like a YouTube um, type deal, and it was um, where I would, it would be like a, it was called Pink Sister Chat. And so it was, what it was, was I was, um, you know, interviewing people who had, Uh, breast cancer and I would um I have a YouTube where I do um it's called there's beauty in the hustle so now I talk about entrepreneurship and all that kind of stuff and so it was this one lady um I'm grateful that I did it um because like literally months afterwards um she they she had got NED and then like maybe a month afterwards in the midst of celebrating she they she reoccurred and like within a few months she passed away and I didn't really know her know her like I just remember the conversations that we had and I think we had all of maybe four total and I went through like I grieved her like I like she was my like I had known her but that came from here is somebody who didn't even have cancer for a whole year 
and passed away. And here I am. I think I was like two, three years, maybe two, three years in. And I'm like, you know, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for every minute, every hour, every day. However, there's that part that's just like, here's this lady and she left behind two kids and a husband. And, you know, I was grateful that I did the show um, because she was actually the last person that I interviewed because I had to take a break from it. Um, but her her family used that um, um, part of it. There was a clip because I was like, tell me what, you know, if. Um, you could say anything to your children. What would you say? And they put that, what she said into a teddy bear for oh. her son and her daughter. And so now they have that. And they're, you know, her brothers and her sisters, they always mm-hmm. get to hear her voice. And like the, her last words, you know, just being positive or whatever. And I'm grateful that I did it. However, it's still like when when I hear that, like I try not to send myself down the bunny trail of like, what did they have? How long did they live? You know, because then that sends me into guilt. But then that just puts a damper on my own mental health. And then I go down another mm-hmm. bunny trail. But so easy to fall down the rabbit hole. To do. You know, it survivor survivor's guilt is like oh, it's man. real. And, you know, they people don't talk about that though. Mm-hmm. What about you, Deb? I um, I have been struggling with this one because, like I said, I waited a few years. So I'm still new to, like, finding support groups and meeting other mm-hmm. people with metastatic breast cancer. I kind of just been doing it on my own for the last few years. And and so when I did start earlier this year finding groups and stuff, I, I consider myself sort of the, um, like – cheerleader type you know I always want to cheer people on sending you you know I'm I mean it when I say I'm sending love and prayers to you I mean it like I don't have to know you to send you those good vibes and prayers but what started happening was you know of course you know people start dying and suddenly my news feed is filled with you know people dying and stuff and I started feeling tremendous guilt like wow I've been NED for four years now you know and um why is my first line still working and how come theirs didn't you know and then because I do struggle with mental health issues like I've been struggling with them my whole life before my diagnosis I know that I have to be careful like extra careful it could lead me down a really bad path and so it started getting overwhelming and I needed to step away, you know, for a little bit and um, and regroup and figure out, like, how much advocacy do I want to do or how many support groups do I want to be in? And do I want to make any friends? Because I tend to love people and I love them hard. And so I worry about making friends uh, with other people that have metastatic breast cancer because I'm, I'm afraid of the loss. But I also know it's part of it. And I think that that when we have those those feelings of guilt, we have to, you know, reframe our thoughts, you know, and go in a different direction and stuff. And, you know, and I, um, I don't know, but I, I definitely struggle with, with feeling like bad, even though we all have it, you know, yeah, we're all still right? poor. It's like, yeah. I, I still feel that way, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, and in, in the same way where like, I, 
you know, I think that when we think about, you know, because we have, I, I don't know uh, about you ladies, but I'll have people that, you know, maybe feel bad for me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm all right right now. You know, yeah, I have my days where I'm like, no, I'm never going to ring the bell. Okay. I got to go get treatment every three weeks still. That's fine. I've made my pivot. I've been doing this for a long time, you know, um, but it, that's survivor's guilt in, in that sense as someone with stage four and seeing others with stage four. Sometimes, you know, it's just, it can, it can be overwhelming. And like Ebony said, we have to protect our, our minds, you know, our, our mental health and stuff. Cause it can like really, I, uh, yeah, the rabbit hole, I went, I was going down the rabbit hole last night. How to stop myself. I was like, listen, I'm not a radiologist or an oncologist. Okay. I, I don't, I'm not trained to read my scans. So I'm just going to wait. Okay. <laughs> do not recommend it. Do, do no. not recommend. Dr. Google. <laughs> Absolutely not. Hire Dr. Google. No appointments with Dr. Google at all. None. Um, for me, I feel like I, I 100% get survivor's guilt, especially in early stages, even though, again, I feel like you can't control, you know, what happens to anyone else. Um, it's part of the human experience to feel empathy, you know, for what someone else is going through. So yes, of course, it's normal to feel, you know, sad that like, why did this happen to them? And things are going okay for me. You know, the feelings are valid. And I think it's very valid and frustrating. You know, lots of times I have wished, you know, and been frustrated that cancer medicine is just not advanced it's not even as advanced as like the basic (laughs) migraine medication where if we all had a headache and I was like here let me give you all like a capsule for your headache you know we're all probably going to feel fine in like half an hour but cancer medicine just isn't that way it's hit or miss it's even if we have the same exact disease the same exact subtype and we on the same exact medication, the same chemo, it does not mean that it's going to work for all of us. And it's very frustrating. And I have felt frustrated and I have sat and talked with and cried with people who were asking me, you know, because you get those questions like, what are you doing that's helping you to be okay? You know, uh, why did this work for you? Are you doing anything else? Um, can you recommend a doctor? And at the end of the day, it's just frustrating because it's just so out of, you know, our own control. It's like I could send you the same doctor and tell you to ask them to put you on the same medication and things to go so differently for you. And while I, you know, that makes me feel really frustrated and sad. Survivor's guilt, I think, is something that I really put to the back of my mind. Because like you said, for me, I'm always like, well, at the end of the day, We are all stage four, though. (laughs) I know that I'm going to die, most likely from this disease. I hope it's not some crazy die. I don't want to get murdered. (laughs) um, I don't want to be a true crime episode, although I love them. But I'm always like, (laughs) most, you know, we're all, there's a beautiful quote that I love. Um, I forget who said it, but we're all just walking each other home. And that's truly how I think of, life like the human experience all together on this earth and definitely it gets even more tighter knit community um in the cancer community and so i just think of it as like walking 
slash running this race together. And at some point, my sisters are, are out of it. They're falling down. And at some point, I'm going to fall down too. And I, I do think that that, in some weird way, keeps me from feeling survivor's guilt. Like, I have the sadness, I have the thought, I have the frustration of, like, why this works for me and not someone else. But I know that, like I was saying earlier, I'm not going to, like, thrive or be this fine forever, you know. Yes. Um, and that it's, like you said, kind of the name of the game. And that's another thing I wanted to point out why I, um, well, I'm a big community connection person anyway. So almost immediately once I was diagnosed, I knew I was going to want to seek out community. And I did. I dove right into it. And it was quite overwhelming because you see a lot of death. But I know I started to look at from the perspective of how I wanted people to treat me, especially new people. I still wanted them to see me as like a human with so much more to me than cancer. And to think that I'm worthwhile to know, even if it's for a short amount of time, you know. And I also love really hard. And I can tell you, you know, I've lived with cancer for a little over three years now made a lot of friends, lost a lot of friends. And I've never felt like I wish I just never even, you know, met that person. I wish I never got close to them. I've never experienced that feeling. But I do think that it is perfectly okay to protect ourselves and to step back, whether it's from advocacy work or support groups having too many conversations that are frustrating because we do have to protect our own, you know, mental well-being. And that's completely okay. And speaking of mental well-being, how do you all cope with endless treatments? Like you mentioned earlier, Deb, you know, there's no bell ringing typically with stage four. There's no end in sight. There's no coming in with a checklist and saying, all right, one more, you know, this one down, one more to go, which I feel can make things much easier to tolerate. But for us, uh, I think that could be a really, uh, like Ebony mentioned, falling down a rabbit hole if you sat and, and thought about that for too long, like endless treatments. So how do you cope with that, like physically and mentally? Well, I know for me, I have my own bell. I don't need them. I don't need to ring them their bell. I have my own bell. Love See, it. I, 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 <laughs> I, you know, run to my own drum, you know, I step to my own beat. <laughs> so I, I have, that. I have my own bell, so I don't have to ring that bell. I can ring my own bell. Um, when I do, because I really do, I'm really grateful to God for the support team that I have, the support system and team that I have around me because they won't let me be in that place. And when they see that I'm in that place, they pray for me, they uplift me, they remind me who I am, who I am. They remind me of my purpose here on earth, you know, so I'm very grateful for the people who I have around me. Um, also, like, I try to keep myself busy, um, whether it's I color, <laughs> I love coloring. Me so, too. Coloring, About coloring. <laughs> um, whether it's coloring, whether it's putting a puzzle together, 
Um, I used to I used to do my nails all the time. Um, I still do, but now I've turned that into a business. So when I feel myself going down a rabbit hole or something, or something, I'll get out my nails and I'll start creating. And so that's another way of me just being artistic. Um, I love to Amazon shop. Yes. <laughs> Retail therapy, the real thing. No. Insurance should cover it. I will go to Amazon. <laughs> I agree. Ooh, let me see what it they got. Or just something. I may not even buy it. I might just put it in the cart like I'm going to buy it. But I <laughs> take myself out of it. Um, but then I have to, you know, remind myself what triggered you to even go there. Watching my triggers to not be like, well, maybe you shouldn't go to that person's page or, um, or go to that certain group's page or, um, like certain things, just knowing what that trigger is. And sometimes you can't help, you know, things come. Absolutely. But I agree with social media. I allow myself to feel and be in the moment and but not to stay there. And I'm glad I have people around me if they won't let me stay there. They'll be like, you know what? Okay. You felt it, you dealt with it. Now you got businesses to take care of, you got kids to take care of, you got a lot of stuff to do. So yeah. And what about you, Deb? How do you cope with treatments with no end in sight? That's beautiful. I, um, I, I have, I, you know, um, I also engage in the retail therapy from time to time, even if it's just putting it on my list or, you know, but I, I do like to treat myself, um, whether it be like, I'm going to go eat my favorite food right now, have a little sweets or something. You know, I don't, I try not to get too stuck on diet things. Um, but I like, um, I write. So I like to write, like I write poems and I journal and stuff. And I don't like to be too stuck in my feelings for too long. Cause I know that, um, that's not a good thing for me. Um, I try to find, I, <laughs> I, um, I also try to like, even though it took me a long time uh, to find for the rest of us and the baddies group and stuff, I want to say that I really wish that I would have found this, you know, a couple years ago and not waited so long. Cause it's like something that I needed that I didn't know I needed. Um, because even just among us having this conversation, I feel better. You know, I was kind of having a day. You know, I was kind of like starting to get into that little rabbit hole of Googling, you know, and feeling like, oh, no, you know. And then I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was like, listen, you have been through a lot of shit. <laughs> like, this is nothing. You can handle this. Um, and I just remind myself, you know, like uh, of how much uh, how far I've already come with, you know, other things in my life separate from cancer, just things that I've you know dealt with and have gone through. Um, and remind myself, like, you got this, like, I got this, like, whatever it is, good, bad, you know, malignant, benign, I got it, I got this, I got this, and um, I, I am a bit spiritual, so I, I do, like, reaffirmations, I, I will take, like, time out, so I'll tell the kids, like, hey, you know what, I need a few minutes, I gotta go have some calm down time and stuff, I'm feeling a little weird, I need to uplift myself and whatever way I choose to do in that moment. Um, 
I think that it's hard and it's, it's a, it's like a marathon, you know, it's not a, just a quick race. You know, we, I think that we need to build yep. like sustainable methods of taking care of ourselves when we have those moments. And I think community is important and having loved ones around you that are going to be like, Hey, you know, you got this, come on, you know, you could do this, you know, we love you, you know, and even like how I posted in the back, having these other women just chime in and being like, we're praying for you or we're sending you lots of love and we hope your scans, scans go okay. Just that is enough to like really turn things around and be like, yeah, okay, I'm not alone. All right, cool. You know, mm-hmm. I got this. We got this. Yep. And we got each other. And it's, it is, like you said, so important to have support around you, good support. And like a mix of people who really get it and nobody really gets it, like people who are living with it. So Deb, like, I'm so glad that you found, <laughs> that you found us. Um, I cannot even imagine having gone through like my first year of cancer without other cancer folks. I feel like you need that balance of like the people who knew you before cancer, you know, to kind of ground you and everything. And then you need the people your cancer people. Like I need my cancer people. I need my NBCers. I need my people I can go to when I'm having like my really dark moments. And maybe my mama or something is um, annoying me with her, with her, with her levels of positivity, you know, when I'm like, no, this is what is happening. And it really is terrible. And like, it's okay to say that it just freaking sucks. And it's horrible. <laughs> you know, let me have my moment. Like Ebony said, let me have my moment. As long as we're allowing ourselves to have the moment, feel the feelings like we're human. We're going to be triggered by things, especially during this month. Social media is rough (laughs) during this month. If you're a breast cancer survivor, you know, or thriver, um, it's rough. When I was first diagnosed, I mean, pretty much immediately ran into breast cancer awareness month and it was really affecting me mentally. I had to like log off a lot because it was so overwhelming. Um, I can handle it a lot better now. I can deal with, you know, seeing people who have passed and everything a lot because I'm just more comfortable. Where there was anger, there's a lot more, like, acceptance and peace. And also, I know that everyone has their own individual story, so I don't own anybody else's story. I know that I have my own. I don't know how how long it's going to be. I don't know how it's, you know, all going to end, but I know that, you know, their story is their story and mine is mine. Um, But gosh, community and connection is is everything. So how do you all talk to your loved ones from your caregivers to your children? We all have children um, about NBC. Because I feel like sometimes we almost have to be the support. I feel like as women and as mothers, it comes so naturally to be used to supporting everyone. Like you mentioned earlier with the movies, you know, you see the mother and she's like doing and running everything. And then it's like, who's going to be holding her down? (laughs) And also, even when everyone is holding her down, when she's, you know, dealing with illness, um, in a lot of ways, women are still protecting 
or trying to, you know, like I feel very often that I not only have my own grief on my shoulders, but five whole other humans that I'm responsible for, all of their feelings about, you know, be living with NBC. Um, and everyone who knows me knows um, that I'm very much a 100% keep things real and open and honest with my girls. I have five girls from seven to almost 17. Um, who I oh hope my goodness. School. Yes. <laughs> it's a busy house. Yeah, I had a whole squad there. The whole yes. squad. I love it. There's a lot of emotions in this house. <laughs> You're gonna guess. But, um, you know, I think, especially coming from a homeschool background, I, it was always on me to like, oh, I'm responsible for teaching them about literally everything. And so that also ran into, you know, when we talk about sex or drugs or just anything, navigating anything in life. And so now we're all navigating cancer and we talk about grief and we talk about my diagnosis and what it means. And some days I need more support than others. Um, and I definitely am always having to support, you know, the people who love me in a lot of ways, because as we all know, a cancer diagnosis doesn't only affect us, it affects our loved ones as well. So how do you talk to your loved ones about NBC? Um, well, my... Has it changed from when you were first diagnosed to now? Very much. They they do a lot of research on their own. That's awesome. Um, that, you know, I take it, one, because I did homeschool, but also my, my kids are nosy. They, <laughs> they get it. Aren't from- they all? Carry out, <laughs> yeah. Carious as cats. I have four. My son, <laughs> the only boy, y'all pray for him. Um, <laughs> I, I, my, you talk about your household ranges from seven, seven to 17. Mine's is 10, soon to be 14, 20, and 22. Um, wow. So, like, they, you know, they've, um, they've educated themselves as well as before 2020. But even now, like, if I go to a doctor's appointment, they're at the doctor's appointment with me. They're asking the doctor's questions. Um, and if they don't understand it, they ask the doctor to break it down. You know what I mean? So along the way, they've educated themselves. We've, along with me, I, we've all educated ourselves together. So, like, for me... It's we've all been in this together. It's me and them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So we've been rocking in this thing for the last four years together. And it's nothing that, you know, I don't keep anything from them. I'm very mm-hmm. raw, open and honest. And um, we talk about everything. You know and it I mean? sounds like they are learning how to talk to doctors which yeah. is so important for them to know Very, how to advocate for themselves. Very like so many people have, don't know how to do that. And, you know, cancer can hit anybody. And breast yep. cancer can hit anybody. And so, like, I let them know, you know, like, this is, you don't take no for an answer, especially mm-hmm. if you don't feel like that's the answer that, that you don't feel comfortable. <sighs> you don't have to. Yeah. 
answer. You go, and if they don't answer you, they they want to dismiss you because for whatever reason, whether you're because you're a woman or because you're black, guess what? You go find somebody else that will do it. And they've watched me go through the process. They've watched how I've handled it. And so they've pretty much, they know how to navigate and do the same. And then that way, like if there's days where somebody wants to come out of the woodwork and want to talk crazy, they stop them. Look, mom can't talk. She won't talk to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they nip it in the bud because they know, like, maybe I'm having one of those days. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with any stuff. Don't want to deal with nobody else's stuff. So they've become almost like my protectors. Like, I was once protecting them. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost like the roles have reversed. So um, they've pretty much educated themselves um, I try to educate others who are around me who are willing to listen. Some people have their mind already made up. I can't do anything mm-hmm. about that. I don't try to. I just I just walk my life as a li- living example. And I've always done that. Um, I rather people see me in action rather than just hear my words. Because mm-hmm. nobody can say anything. You can say, no matter, it doesn't have to be cancer. It could be anything. People can say whatever they want. I hear and I work by action. What is your actions? Does your actions follow up with your words? And how about you, Deb? How do you talk to your loved ones about NBC? And has it changed from when you were newly diagnosed to now? (laughs) Um, so at the time of diagnosis, I was a single mom and my daughter was four years old. So it was just her and I for like a really long time. And, and where I've always been honest with her. So even at four years old, you know, I kept it really simple, like the language, you know, mama's got something going on, you know, I'm going to have to start going to the doctor a lot. I'm going to be getting a special medicine, you know, and it's going to be doing its work in my body. It's going to, you know, kill the disease in my body, but I might look sick on the outside. And she, you know, I remember she was sad because, you know, she's in preschool and, but she seemed to understand. And then I started treatment. Um, I asked if there was a social worker at my hospital um, and they had one and they do like a little tour with the little kids like, you know, they can't take them into the infusion room, but just kind of like, you know, so she could see where I've been going, you know, all these weeks and stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, I needed help. So I had to call my brother and um, my sister-in-law came out from New Mexico to come and help me with my four-year-old. Cause I was like, I can handle this, but I need a little bit of help, you know, here. Cause it was just her and I, um, when I met my partner, it was while I had started treatment and he has kids. So now those are my kids too. And that's a little bit different because um, they haven't asked me a lot of questions and maybe cause I'm NED right now, they see me go every three weeks yeah. You know, I've come home sometimes because the cancer center is pretty close. I've come home with my port access, you know, and there's been some like big eyes, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm in the middle of treatment right now, you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like they see the port, you know, it's nothing new. But, you know, listening to both of you, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should open up the conversation and see if they have any questions. I just kind of felt like, oh, their dad probably told them, you know, because I came in 
I'm still kind of new, you know, two years here now. And, but I, I do, and they're older. So I have a 14 year old now and a 20 year old. Um, and so I, you know, if something changes, I will talk to all of them. You know, my, my daughter, she, you know, just the other day I had my infusion. She's like, are you okay, mom? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I feel a little crappy, you know, but I do think about like, Hey, what's going to happen when that time comes? If something changes, you know, will I have the same approach? You know, she's older now. She's more aware, you know, I don't know. And as for the rest of my family, this is so messed up that I did this. (laughs) I was like, um, I just kind of wrote like a very casual Facebook post to just sort of like everybody's attention at once. Like it was kind of insensitive when I think about it now, but I was a little estranged. Like my family's in California and New Mexico and other places. And it was like, I started off with like my weird sense of humor. And then on the bottom sentence, I was like, well, and I just want everyone to know, you know, that I was just diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, and uh, my brother was so mad. (laughs) (laughs) so in retrospect I probably should have maybe been a little bit more sensitive to my other family members but I wanted to just get it out there and like be done like I didn't want to answer a bunch of questions from a bunch of people at once I just wanted to be like hey this is going on (laughs) yeah it's like this is what it is and you know but I might need some help but I I, I got yeah I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense to me. I think, you know, I also, you know, came out with my diagnosis through a social media post because I was like, I just want to get it out there. I told my close family and friends, you know, in in person um, when I was diagnosed, I was married. I um, I'm now divorced, but I was married at the time that I was diagnosed. And I told, you know, we told our families and I told my closest friends, but I really wanted to wait until I told those people and our kids before just sharing. But I knew, like I've always said, I knew that I wasn't going to like keep my diagnosis to myself at all because I'm a big community person. I knew I was going to want support and understanding and I knew I was going to want to dive into advocacy work. Um, but I don't see anything wrong with uh, making it easier on yourself and making a social media <laughs> to share just kind of like, you know, makes it nice and simple. It's like, boom, here's the information for everybody. And a lot of people use that to, you know, share their scans because it's really, isn't it tiring to like have everyone be like, how were your scans? What were your scan results? And tell over and over, no matter what the results are, it can get tiring. So. <laughs> Social media is um, at least useful for that. So it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, or as I like to call it, Breast Cancer Action Month. But it is also a month of pink washing. So as women living with NBC, how does this month affect you? Um, I, I, I try to, you know, do the opposite of what others do, you know, where, um, I try to use this month to push awareness at all costs. I mean, you know, living with it daily, whether you stage one, stage two, three, four, whatever, 
after October is over, we still have to go through it. But I know this is the time of the year that people is more apt to listen. Mm -hmm. So I try to push as much as possible, be like, hey, look, early detection is the best detection. Don't take no um, as as know-all, be-all, whatever. Um, Even if you got a mammogram in May, see if you can get another one. Like, I try to push it and use this month because the thing is, Walmart's doing it. Target's doing Mm -hmm. it. Gillette yeah. is doing it. All of them, they're doing it. And guess what? They won't even have a pair of pink socks or pink razors out come next month. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But there's, they're getting in on it. And I tell people, when you're donating money, donate to somebody. If you know somebody who's been through it, ask them what, where to, where to send their money to. You know, yeah. um, don't just give it to some of these big name places because a lot of these big name places, I don't care what they say. A lot of people, they have found out a lot of these big name places, maybe 1% of what they, um, what they raise is going to breast cancer awareness and the rest is lying in their pockets. Yes. You know, but you have places like, for the breast of us. They're using it to give back to Yes. You know what I'm saying? People who is actually going through it, whether it's they're giving people um, you know, sending somebody the money or whether it's putting money in the fund, whatever it may be, send it to somebody like that who's actually putting the money to use right now. And not just some of these big name companies. You know, I'm guilty of because I used to give my money to it because one of my uh, one of my friends, co-workers, her mom passed away. And I was like, you know, that month we we really, you know, we pinked out and yeah. whatever. And like, I, you know, I had to get on my family and tell them, hey, don't. Yeah. Where, where'd you get that pink shirt from? <laughs> We like, all have done it. We all have done it. And it comes from the best yep. place. You know, the wearing all the pink, buying all the pink. You you don't know what you don't know. Oh, I got pink on today. I didn't even start wearing pink <laughs> until probably like until it happened. I couldn't stand pink, but now I wear it. <laughs> they are marketing though everything right now, pink and yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's algorithms and stuff. But yesterday I saw an avocado ad. I was like, what are they trying to say here? That had like a sticker with a pink ribbon on it. And I was like, what? what is this? Avocado? You know, what are they doing here? Like, there's no, there's no link to anything. There's not been like a, you know, go do a self-examination. Like, if they were going to be creative with it. But I was like, this is just an avocado ad with a pink yeah. ribbon on it. Oh, um, it gets a little overwhelming. <laughs> But I think this is the month that, like Ebony said, people are paying attention. They're more likely to listen right now, even though we we need to do this all year round, like jump on it. You know, it's a little hard. It's a little overwhelming. Uh, But I am also like when I'm jumping on Instagram and I'm seeing, you know, other uh, baddies posting and stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, like I feel like, okay, cool. Let's put this out there. Let's, you know, and, but I agree. I, um, I think that especially 
with those of us living with metastatic breast cancer where we need ongoing support, give your money to people who need it. Like I know I need help. You know, I finally found a, a local group and they came and helped my family out. And I was so appreciative. I was like, this is better than, you know, just giving it somewhere where you don't see where it's going. Like you really helped me. You helped me cover a utility bill mm-hmm. this month, you know, over the summer, you know, when I, we, and you all have a lot of kids. I had a couple like less than, you know, but still yeah. school supplies, school clothes, yeah. you know, this, that, like it adds up, like it adds up. I, I'm on disability and I work part-time from home, but it's like the bills don't stop. (laughs) Like the things don't stop. So extra support, you know, help someone that's living with breast cancer right now. Yes. Yes. There are big places that have the ability to give, you know, grants and huge amounts of monies to, and there are legitimate organizations, I'm sure, you know, that are, you know, doing something, but I have also been guilty of, not knowing before my diagnosis and maybe pitching in a couple of dollars here and there, having no idea if it was really going to go anywhere. Um, but I, I think that is important. And I think that, that it's, you know, that we, you know, we just use this month, you know, and try to, um, get people to, to stay aware. Absolutely. So speaking of <laughs> giving, if someone is looking to make a donation for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which organizations would you recommend? Where would you recommend they put their their dollars during this month of lots of pink washing? Well, other than for the breast of us, um, um, definitely for the breast of us, um, Tiger Lily is another one. I would definitely recommend Tiger Lily. Um, and then, like, um, I, for my birthday, I kind of ran a campaign um, because I have my own organization and it's specifically for single moms who um, are, who were diagnosed and going through treatment um, because, you know, Breast cancer is hard regardless, or any type of cancer that you get is hard. However, when you're a single mom and it's you, you've it's always been you and, you and the kids. When, you know what I'm saying, like when all the help leaves, it's just you and them. You That's know, right. me, and, you know, I was grateful that, you know, people would come, you know, and then in the beginning, you know, people was there all the time, but then that slowly but surely died out. You know what I mean? Yep. And then, you know, like I live in California, my family lives in Kentucky, but even then it went, you know, and like I tried to tell them, this is not a, this is not a cold. This is not the common cold where mm-hmm. you have it for a week and then it's gone. This is, this is one of them ongoing things. So like, you know, being a single mom, you know, like you said, the bills don't stop coming. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you still got bills <laughs> some days. And, you know, and some jobs just like, they don't care. It's like either you come or you don't. You know yeah. what I mean? And some places won't hire you because you're too much of a liability. Mm-hmm. So find places <sighs> like that that will help, that are actually helping. So other than for the breast of us and Tiger Lily, Find somebody that you may know or somebody that other than you that you may know 
um, your friend or something may know that may have their own organization. All right. And Deb, what would be your recommendation? I love that, Ebony, that you have that to help single moms. Um, that's so beautiful. Um, aside from For the Breast of Us, I do want to um, uh, give a shout out to Living Beyond Breast Cancer. They have a financial assistance program that fills up so fast every single month um, where they help with like electric bills or things like that so that people living with breast cancer can ask for help. Um, I did a birthday fundraiser for them and um, I was able to contact folks over there to find out if I could say like, hey, I want this money to go help specifically this program because it's putting dollars in the hands of people that need that that need help right now. Um, so I would definitely recommend LBBC Living Beyond Breast Cancer uh, and for the rest of us, of course, um, and individuals. If you know an individual living with breast cancer, help them directly. Absolutely. And I will just co-sign on all of that, of course, we're going to shout out for the breast of us. <laughs> I will also add MetaViver because MetaViver focuses 100% yes. towards research for metastatic yes. breast cancer, the breast cancer that kills and sadly is right. super underfunded when you are spending all your money on pink things. Uh, yeah. Not much of it is going towards, towards that. Um, towards NBC. So definitely MetaViver. And I think a big part of helping people thrive with NBC is making sure that they have access to what we still need so that we can thrive. So research, that's MetaViver. And as others mentioned, just supporting individuals. That's a, that's a big deal. You may not get something pretty and pink, to show for it, but then you know that you help someone in a, in a real, in a real way, because we don't stop having to uh, pay for things just because you have cancer. Life does not stop uh, for cancer. That's right. You get no break. (laughs) But, uh, and I would like to shout out a organization that helps individuals and single moms, uh, Infinite Strength, Absolutely love them. Um, and they serve Connecticut and, and a lot of New England. And they help single moms with metastatic breast cancer. So a very specific focus. And they're just amazing. I've worked with them and they're phenomenal. Um, yeah. So ladies, ladies, thank you so much for joining us tonight. How can the audience connect with you? Um, I am on, um, if you on uh, Facebook, it's Ebony Thompson. Um, Instagram is the dot Miss Hustle and Hills and is, um, that where you think it's an S is really a Z because I keep telling her I'm different. Um, (laughs) the Miss Hustle and Hills. And if you want to follow my, um, my business page, which is the fingernails, because I get real creative, is Lavish Lacquered Nails. And nails is N-A-I-L-Z. And I'm on TikTok. Miss Hustle Nails. Thank you, Ebony. Love it. I love that. 
And Deb, how did the people connect with you? I, um, if uh, I, I am mostly on Facebook and Instagram on Facebook, you can find me at Deb on and on Instagram, I'm at Deb for peace, two, four, seven. Um, so happy to connect. Awesome. And I am Deltra does it on Instagram, Deltra underscore does underscore it because I do all the things. <laughs> so we want to thank our listeners for tuning in and make sure you like, share, and subscribe to Batty to Batty on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This is another Batty Creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.